0: Section fifteen of Stupor Mundi, The Life and Times of Frederick the Second, by Lionel Allshorn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter Seven, The Years of Solace. Part Three. Learning and art, music and poetry, all the elegance and culture and luxury which the enlightened mind of man can devise, reigned in the emperor's palaces and with them the amorous freedom, which is their almost inevitable companion, especially under southern skies. Frederick, first among his subjects in intellect, was first also in this. At Lucera he kept a permanent harem, guarded by black eunuchs, and it was a grave cause for scandal that this seraglio was chiefly filled with infidel women. To every place where he was residing at the moment, a number of these concubines would follow him. Even on his military expeditions in the Lombardy, they would accompany him, carried in palanquins or riding on camels, and the loss of these pretty dears was, according to a Parmese verse-maker, the bitterest feature of his defeat before Parma in 1248. His oriental tastes did not limit themselves to the maintenance of a harem. His second and third wives were secluded like eastern sultanas and rarely exposed to the public gaze. It was considered a great honor that Richard of Cornwall, the brother of the third empress, was granted the favor of a long private conversation with her on his visit to Frederick some years later. His favorite mistress, Bianca Lancia, was surrounded with scarcely less irksome precautions. It is regrettable that we know so little about this lady, who seems to have been the chief romance of Frederick's life. She was a piedmontese of noble birth, and her relations with the emperor commenced in 1231 while he was a widower. He was constant, though not faithful to her for the remainder of her life, and just before her death, which occurred after the decease of his third wife, He married her at her urgent request to legitimize the children she had borne him. The church, however, refused to recognize the union since the emperor was excommunicated at the time. In spite of his voluptuous habits, Frederick was active in body. He was a devotee of the chase, and the forests of western Apulia were studded with his hunting lodges. In the pursuit of the deer. He would employ hunting leopards or cheetahs, which he had obtained from the East for this purpose. Falconry also was a favorite sport, and the emperor was more learned in its science than any of his falconers. We can picture him as he rode out with the hooded bird on his wrist, a man of middle height, stoutly built with broad high brow, firm but rather sensuous mouth, and the reddish hue of the hohenstolphins in his hair. On his right would be the fair Bianca, on his left, Peter davinia, his familiar spirit, behind him would ride a gay and glittering throng of lords and ladies, with perhaps many a turban-clad Saracen in their midst. For Frederick's court was cosmopolitan in character, and a learned or noble visitor would always find a welcome there, whatever his nationality or religion, if he was a warrior returning from the crusade he would be given healing baths and soft raiment, and beautiful handmaidens for his solace and attendance. He would be shown the wonders of the royal palace. Perhaps Frederick himself would conduct him round his menagerie, would point out the great elephant presented by Sultan Kamel, the leopards, lions, panthers, camels, dromedaries, and rare birds, all tended by Saracen keepers. His eyes would be dazzled by the imperial treasures, a throne made of pure gold and encrusted with pearls and gems, a wonderful tent which by some mechanical device displayed the movements of the heavenly bodies and the seasons of the year, and other riches of precious stones and sumptuous fabrics from eastern looms. In the evening he would be invited to the banquet, where though the emperor himself was sparing of food and drink, the most varied viands and the choicest wines would repose upon the table. Black musicians would play strange instruments, and Saracen dancing girls would astonish the foreigner with their feats, pirouetting and swaying upon large balls which they would revolve the while with their feet. He would carry home to his own land glowing tales of the splendor of the emperor's court, of the fabulous wealth of gold and rich silks, of the novel entertainments and oriental luxury, of the learned discourse of Frederick and his courtiers, and probably also a substantial token of the royal munificence. Like most powerful rulers of ancient and medieval times, Frederick was a great builder. His palaces, many of them of Saracen architecture, abounded in the island of Sicily on the western shores of the mainland, all were destroyed in the succession of invasions which the unhappy country afterwards experienced. A single arch of the palace of Foggia is almost the only fragment that is left. Of his many castles that of Del Monte, near Andrea, still stands, one of the most perfect survivals in Italy. It is something more than a mere defensive structure. Its fine vaulted halls are decked with marble and mosaics, and its windows adorned with sculpture. The castle of Capua, long since demolished, was ornamented with statues, marbles, and alabaster. Its main entrance was surmounted by a bas-relief representing Frederick in his crown and imperial robes. On his right and left, the two chief advisers of his realm, Peter de Vinia and Thaddeus of Sueza. He also built many cities which he peopled by despotic means. His activities were not confined in his southern kingdom. Many castles were erected in northern Italy in the endeavor to overawe the turbulent cities of Lombardy, Tuscany, and Romagna. The peoples of these territories, for the most part, so bitterly hostile to the Hohenstaufen name, could not be insensible to the refining influence which radiated from Frederick's court. That they were sadly in need of such influence is made evident by many references to their rude and barbarous ways, and exemplified in the following incident. The deputies of Savona were awaiting an audience with the emperor during his visit to Cremona in 1226, when the ambassadors of the rival city of Genoa entered the chamber. The unmannerly Savonese commenced to pull wry faces at their approach, and made vulgar gestures expressive of a violent physical nausea, The people of Italy, wrote a Dominican chronicler late in the century, from Aquileia to Vercelli in particular, in Frederick's time, lived in a barbarous and strange fashion. Their food, raiment, and arms were alike uncouth. Their dialect, their amusements, and their dances were all coarse. Frederick changed everything and taught the Italians better ways he was remarkable among all the emperors, being endowed with courteous, noble, and elegant manners. So in splendor and wisdom of governance, such as his generation had never seen, such as had not been known for many centuries in the history of the Western world, passed the golden years of Frederick's life. If Europe regarded his sway with wonder and admiration, the Church viewed it in a very different light. To the jealous and distrustful eye of the Pope and his myrmidons, every aspect of his rule seemed to redound to the harm of the Church, to the lowering of its prestige, and the undermining of its authority. His just and equitable code of laws was but a rival to the ancient jurisprudence of the Church. Where other nations based their codes upon the canon law and accepted the advice and influence of ecclesiastics in their compilation and their execution, Frederick had discarded every precedent that did not commend itself to him on its own merits, however sanctified by the ancient usage of the Church. If other monarchs followed him in this irreverent independence, the Church would lose its immemorial influence over the jurisprudence of the peoples of Christendom. The highly organized system of government which he had erected, however much it might tend to the happiness and prosperity of his kingdom, deprived the clergy of those immunities which they had so long enjoyed, and degraded them to a position of equality with the lay subjects of the state. His very efforts for the intellectual enlightenment of his people seemed mischievous, for at his University of Naples the study of theology had given place to more liberal learning, and the Church suspected, and in later centuries was to know only too well, that liberal learning was an enemy to its sway over the minds of men. The culture that reigned supreme at Frederick's court seemed evil because it contained so much that was pagan and infidel in origin. The profane and amorous poetry of Frederick and his satellites, his oriental tastes, his triflings with infidel women—all these things were bitterly condemned. If he built for himself castles and palaces— He raised no sacred spires to the glory of God. His philosophical researches, his mathematical lore, were meant to raise human nature to the level of divine knowledge. The fearful result was to be seen in his own contempt for sacred things. The doctrine of transubstantiation, recently endorsed by the papacy, came under the lash of his ridicule. How many gods will be made out of this corn in my lifetime? He was believed to have said when riding through a field of grain, How long will this mummery last? as he saw the sacred elements being carried in solemn procession through the streets. God, he declared, would never have chosen the barren country of Judea as the promised land if he had seen his own beautiful realm of Sicily. He was even reported to have said that the world had been led by three impostors Moses, Christ, and Muhammad. Such and such were the abominations which proceeded from his mouth, from the mouth of one who was not merely the king of Sicily, but the emperor of Rome, the first monarch of Christendom, who should be beyond all men in reverence for holy things, and let it not be forgotten in dutiful submission to the vicar of Christ. Retribution must follow, and the proud must be brought low, and meanwhile, Gregory pondered on these injuries and treasured them up in his heart. End of Section 15